Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. It's good to see Paula Evans back today from the Ivory Coast. Yay. Not that we doubted you were coming back, uh, but, uh, but really glad that you are here. And before we go further, I want us to have another prayer. Today is the last Sunday that Miracle is going to be with us. Uh, for just a few weeks, she's going to go to France and work with some of our missionaries there for a few weeks. And so I thought it to be appropriate for us today if, uh, if we just had a word of prayer over her as she goes. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that, uh, that we have a knowledge of you. And we think of those who have had a knowledge of you. And in Paula's case, going to people who have never had a knowledge of you. And I uh, thank you for using this church and churches like it to go to the nation's to be able to declare your worth to people who have never known or have forgotten who you are. And I pray, Lord, that those things would never happen to us here. So I thank you for continuing to call us out and give us opportunities to go around the world. And now I pray for, for Miracle as she goes with her travel and as she meets new people and has very new experiences. I just pray that you would uh, go with her and give her a sense of your continual presence and, um, and regardless of what the circumstances are, that she can go with your peace. And Lord, I pray for Mike too. I know it's difficult to, uh, uh, to just kind of wait with bated breath for her to get there and, and every day to hear you know, what's going on and then finally when she returns home. So I pray that, that your peace would be uh, felt by him as well. And uh, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today uh, we're going to be in uh, several passages of Scripture, and over the last few weeks we've been talking about prayer, specifically with the purpose of prayer and, and what prayer is supposed to accomplish in our life. And, uh, and so we've talked about prayer isn't a desire, and I really want us to, to challenge our thinking about prayer. Prayer isn't a desire to get things from God, but prayer comes from a desire to get God himself, to not, to not just have an experience uh, or, or to, to make requests, but to actually receive more of who he is. And so the, the goal isn't only to be heard by God, but also to hear from God, to have our hearts purified, our priorities reestablished, and to be freed from you know, the earthly trapments and earthly desire, earthly things, and to be able to be completely refocused on him, moving from our needs to the provider himself. And so prayer is similar to repentance in that it's not something that we do. It is a lifestyle that we are to, to live out. And so I want us to begin to really think about prayer differently than just a, a moment in time, but it becomes time itself, a time where we are always in the presence of the Lord seeking alignment with him. And so prayer does bring about alignment with God's will and God's word. And so that alignment with God, when we spend time with his presence, it brings surrender, when, when, or at least the opportunity for surrender. So we know what God wants, and then we can line ourselves up with him, and that brings a, a surrender, a, a, a consecration. And surrender then brings about 
repentance. Repentance brings about or makes room for the ability to see God's glory in our, in our everyday life. To be able to see as we process through life, as we see the circumstances of life, we're able to see that God is at work and how we can manifest that in our life and, and not only in us but through us. And so in this in and through God's glory that we're able to gain, you know, when you're spending time, and Scripture is replete with this, and we'll talk about this, you know, a little bit more today, but when you are spending time in the very glory of God, that's where we gain motivation. That's where we gain direction. That's where we get a good shift of what priority should look like. We begin to gain a, an insight of ministry, and we become less self-focused and more selfless focused and others focused. We, we get a, an idea of what, what things we are to be committed to. Commitment, again, is not the problem, but where we are to be committed and the ability to stay firm there. And that commitment brings about obedience. And that gives us ministry eyes and ministry ears. And that brings us to passion, which is the ultimate benefit I think of our personal prayer life is that our hearts get energized for the right things. Our hearts can get established with, for what God himself is passionate over and for. So when one of these things are awry, it causes trouble in every other thing. And so think of prayer uh, and, and just like like it's linear. So if there's a break in anyone, it's just like it's down, downstream. There's going to be you know a causation. So if if you're not aligned with God, but you're committed, I mean, can can you be sure that you're committed to the right things? If if you're not, if you don't care about God's will, you know, are you sure that your priorities are right? And so a lot of people are passionate, but I think that they burn their passions in the wrong directions. You know, I think a lot of people are, have priorities, but I'm sometimes concerned that maybe our priorities are out of order. And so if alignment goes awry, then everything downstream. If surrender is awry, you know, a lot of times people want to know what to surrender to, but they not, may not be ready to. And so I surrender to some of it. And so that really is going to affect where we repent. And by the way, I'm going to get a little preachy here for just a second. I feel like it's a composite of teaching over the last probably 20 years where, where people really, really value this idea of transparency, authenticity, accountability, confession, but with that never comes repentance. So it's like, I want to find people that I can really tell all of my troubles to and somebody that will, you know, keep my secrets safe. And I'm being honest, but there's no transformation. There's no change. There's no alignment with his self, with, with the Lord. It's just as long as I'm being honest, as long as I'm being authentic, as long as I'm being genuine, that's some kind of, that's some kind of goal. But the truth of the matter is, if I'm only surrendered, I may or may not be repentant. I may still want to do things my way. And by the way, if we're not living lives of repentance, there's no way of experiencing the full glory of God. And so we get glimpses of God's glory. And God is good to give us those. But our sacrifice in this world should respond to his sacrifice. Right, So we look at, we consider the sacrifice of Christ and our sacrifice, 
I really don't want, I don't really want to spend a lot of time in this particular place uh, uh, today. But my concern is a, a very cheap, easy believism is where God's sacrifice was for you as a chief end, where everything that Jesus does is for you. But remember, it's for you so that you can respond back to him because, and this, this stings just a little, okay? It stings a little, so brace. You are not the chief end of God's plan. So you can look from the very beginning to the very end and you can see God's plan is for his glory to fill the earth. His glory is his ultimate goal. And when we are missing him, then we begin to be the center of our prayer life. We begin to be the center, and if I might be so American, as to we begin to read scripture with an American dream mindset that everything God does, he does for me. Everything God does, he does for himself. You get to benefit from that because everything God does is good. And if we partner with him, we can get glimpses. If we live in him, we can live in his glory everywhere we go. It really is a minor tweak that changes trajectory for generations. So, you know, I, 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 there's no way for me to know where we may as individuals struggle in our prayer life of you know, I know what God wants, but I'm not ready to surrender. I know what God wants, but I'm not ready to commit. I know, you know, once, once I get to this certain place in life, then my priorities will shift. I, I really do get all of that. I've, I've lived that, and maybe probably sometimes I still do. That's why it's so important to, like, live on purpose so that you are constantly evaluating. I think it's one of the reasons why when we find Daniel's prayer life, Daniel prays three times a day. We don't know how, when, where. Well, we kind of know where, and we kind of know when, and we know how. So uh, Daniel's a great illustration. I think that Daniel actually prayed three times a day. Scripture says that. I pray, you know, 24 hours a day, right? If you pray three times a day, how often are you praying? Every eight hours. You pray before you go to bed, you sleep a good eight hours, and then you wake up and you pray again, right? And then you wait eight hours and you pray. So every eight hours you get this, this reminder of God's glory, this reminder of a life of repentance. You know what? Living that way and modeling that kind of a habit gets you to the point where you would say to yourself, I will not eat the king's meat. It's, it's that developed in us. And Daniel at an old age is still living that habit of I'm going to stand opposed to Nebuchadnezzar when the rest of the empire is compromising. It was his prayer life that established that for him. So Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 64, verse 1. My, the, what, well, I shouldn't say the favorite, uh, but one of my favorite words in prophecy is the first word of Isaiah 64. Anybody want to read it? Oh, listen, this is important because this is not poetry. This isn't flowery, flowery language. This is an emotional response to a truth. This is, oh, how I long for this, right? Oh, 
It comes from a heart that has experienced God at the deepest level, at least at some point. It's a heart that longs for that intimacy and alignment with Him again. It's a desire to see God act for God's benefit, not myself. Because when God acts for His benefit and you want what He wants, you benefit. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence as when a fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. It seems that Isaiah is longing for a previous experience that he had. I want to take you back over to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple in his face, and and, uh, above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongues of the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Just then, just later, you know, Isaiah says, he hears, Who will I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. He starts by, woe is me, for I am undone to send me. So we need to understand. I want you to pay very careful attention to what the angels cry. Listen. So in this point, Isaiah is lifted. I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his throne room, right? Remember what the angel said? What did they say? The earth is full of what is full of his glory? You would think that seated in the throne room, you would hear the angel say, the heavens are full of his glory. Not so. The earth is full of his glory. That's the desire of the throne room. Know that the the goal of God is that his glory fill the earth. That everywhere that man can go, God's glory is revealed and manifested there. It does fill the earth already. But the reason that we don't see God's glory every direction we look is because we are misaligned from his glory. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 17, it says, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh. And all of his hosts, his chariots, his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Notice from God, the goal was not destruction. The goal was glory. The goal wasn't judgment. It was glory. 
God's goal is to feel the earth with himself. And he has done that, but only with those who have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to reveal, will experience God in this way. And you have Isaiah who is able to see the glory of the Lord. And then you back up from that. When he sees the glory of the Lord, only then could he properly see himself. And the first thing he sees is his lips because that comes from his heart. When he gets his heart in clear view, he's able to see the sins of people. And he's able to see himself distanced from God and immediately drawn to the Father. And when the Father then calls him into ministry and it fills Isaiah with passion. In 60 chapters later, in Isaiah 64, what does Isaiah long for? Long for that moment again where I can be in your presence and your glory will fill the earth. God desires to commune with all of his creation. I mean, if you're waiting for God to want you, he wants you. He wants you aligned. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to show you his glory in the earth. But far too often, we want to impress God with our own glory. Show him how important we are. The things that we can do. Things that were areas where we don't need him. It seems that God chooses particular people at particular times to just give us glimpses of this throne room, of this openness where we can see things that previously we weren't able to see, where he can reveal what is going on in the eternal to the earth. In Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 1, the the prophet Ezekiel states, In my 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, when I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Can you imagine? The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Malachi 3.10, while referring specifically to financial giving, God promises that he will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings until there's no more need for those who give obediently. You remember when Jesus was actually on the earth at his baptism, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Stephen was the first martyr, and when he was killed there in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, says, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John says, And I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. And at once I was in the Spirit. Jesus, remember what he told Nathaniel? I believe this was in John chapter 1, verse 51, the very first chapter of John. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It seems that at times we get these glim- glimpses of heaven opening in 
God's words. It seems to me that God wants his people to have glimpses of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he gives us a prayer so that we might align with that, having experienced the windows of heaven opening. It's very similar to what Jesus told us to pray, that his kingdom would come and his earth uh, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, you know, the goal of prayer is not to fill heaven with God's glory, but to fill earth with his glory. Not, not to manufacture some kind of earthly glory to contribute to God, like we add to that glory, but to receive God from heaven and be able to distribute him within his creation. And once we're aligned with God, he allows us to be conduits of heaven to earth. And he does that through his glory, through the work of his Holy Spirit. So once we are one with Christ and impossible apart from being one with Christ, we can become conduits. I want to share a, an illustration or two. And then turn over with me to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to tell you a story through Scripture. It's not long. It's detailed. Genesis 28 verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your, father, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply that you may become a company of peoples. This is Isaac speaking to Jacob. May he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Now it's important because this is very similar to God's blessing to Abraham, to Abraham to Isaac, and now from Isaac to Jacob. Verse 5, thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. This is his uncle. Verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba, that's where he was, and he went to Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there at night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and God of Isaac. The land on which you lie will give you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head, set it up for a pillar, poured oil on the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. So Jacob receives a vision, a ladder very specifically came to a certain place and that ladder that set up on the earth, right? This, is, this has, if you think about like a ladder coming out of heaven, you know, it may, it may not be regulated to the rules of gravity. But knowing that it rests on the earth and into the heavens tells me that this ladder is extending up this has this vision as being earth-centered. In, in fact, the Hebrew word for top can also be translated the head of it. So when you see it that way, it's definitely, yeah, obviously ascending and descending, but this is access. On this ladder are angels ascending and descending. And Jacob, though, does not interact and he does not participate in any way with this vision. He just observes. He does hear the voice of God and the voice of God declares the promise of Abraham over Jacob. I'm going to give you this land, north, south, east, west. I'm going to give you many descendants like the dust of the earth. And your descendants are going to be a blessing to every family on the face of the earth. And I'm going to give you my presence. Again, same vow that God gave Abraham. He is now fulfilling in the third generation, Jacob. All right, now we're going to fast forward, but I'm going to give you some context. Go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 32. Jacob gets to Laban. He sees the you know, prize of his eye and he wants to marry Rachel. Tells Laban, hey, I'll, you know, I really want to marry my cousin Rachel. And uh, Laban says, great, we'll do that. You got to work seven years for me and you can have her. Into seven years, he thinks he's marrying Rachel. He wakes up the morning after the honeymoon and Leah, mm, not Rachel. And I won't get into all of that, uh, but he's pretty upset. He goes back to Laban. You tricked me. You deceived me. Well, your name's Jacob. Your name actually means deceiver. <laughs> so, and you know, it's really hard for Jacob to mount a case about being upset about deceiving because he just rooked his brother out of the birthright. Right, So, you know, a little bit hypocritical of Jacob. But Jacob's a hot mess, to be honest. He, he's not made very many good decisions. Everywhere he goes, people get upset at him. They just, I'm just going to throw it out there, okay? So Jacob goes to Laban and says, hey, you've really messed me over. And Laban says, all right, all right, ha, 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 I got you. But look at her. She ain't getting married. I had to trick somebody to marrying her. And she's the oldest. So he goes and he says, if you work for me seven more years, I'll give you the girl you want. 
So this is true love. I mean, this is like a fairy tale romance, right? He says, all right, I'll work another seven years. What have I got to do? Because I just left home. Back, go back to Genesis 27. I just left home because Esau, my brother, my really strong, like, archer brother, said that if he ever sees me again after my daddy dies, he's going to kill me. So I can hang out another seven years. And so he works for seven years. Into seven years, he gets Rachel. In those seven years, though, by the way, he has 12 children. He marries Rachel, and he goes to his father-in-law, and he says, Uncle Laban. I mean, this sounds like Eastern Kentucky. <laughs> he goes to his father-in-law, his Uncle Laban. Yeah, I married my, my cousin, and uh, anyway, whatever. I... So I, uh, I think it's time for me to go home. No, you're not going home. If you want to take any livestock or you want to take any possessions with you, you're going to have to work for me six more years. Jacob said, okay, I'll work six more years. Now, we're near the end of this time period, you know, 20 years. And now, if you look behind Jacob as he goes kind of sneaks out to Laban because he's afraid Laban's going to trick him again and I don't blame him. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on three. At me, you know, three times, I'm, I'm just not asking for permission. So uh, Jacob gets up. He's gone three days before Laban even knows he's gone. They pursue them. He gets in and kind of corrects him. What are you doing? I want to at least kiss my grandchildren before you go and do that old thing. And he blesses him and Jacob goes on. So, you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of speed reading through these couple of chapters. So go back and, and read them if you, if you would like. But if you look behind Jacob, God, God gets Jacob up on that day he leaves. And he says, all right, it's time to go back home. As Jacob gets up, look behind him. Jacob now has two wives. He has 12 children. He has just unbelievable amounts of livestock because God has blessed him richly with many descendants. And now he's trekking back to the land that God gave him. Just in 20 years, you begin to see this process of blessing and God honoring his covenant with Jacob. And by the way, Jacob is not the man he was 20 years ago. Genesis 32. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Now listen, that, I don't want us to miss that. We can read Scripture so quick to think that's like a regular occurrence in Scripture. It, it's not. It doesn't happen much. We think of men like Abraham who had these regular conversations with God. Not so. It didn't happen very often. And sometimes there would be decades in between direction. And so now we have Jacob who had a vision of God and it terrified him, a vision of angels on a ladder. And now he walks up to angels who are meeting him. And Jacob saw them. He said, <laughs> you know, before he was all by himself, right? And he's like, oh, this is awesome. This place is the, the very gate of heaven, and now he's got his wives, his kids, his livestock, all of his servants. And he walks up and he meets these angels. And he's like, yeah, this is God's camp. I mean, it's just normal. It's just normal for Jacob. Because Jacob's not terrified of heaven opening and him being able to experience this. 
So the first time that Jacob encountered heaven, he was not right with God, and it was kept from him, just a glimpse for him. He was a child of Abraham, but he was not aligned with God. He was far from God. He was a deceiver, a manipulator, a liar. He was at odds with everyone that he knew. But in that encounter, God allowed him to see just a portal. First time, he was an observer. But this time, there's interaction participation here's what happens and it and again it just kind of ends there this is god's camp this is where god dwells so this is the gate of heaven where god interacts now this is where god dwells it moves on it moves on rather quickly where jacob in this encounter of meeting the angels and he is positively interacting with heaven. And he immediately says, I've got to fix things with my brother. You know, Genesis 27, brother's going to kill me. But now that he's aligned, I've got to fix things on earth. So you know what he does. He goes and he looks at his livestock and he says, all right, I've got, I've got all of this livestock. I want you to go ahead of us and I want you to, when you run into Esau, because we're going to go through Esau's land, Seir, we're going to go through there. You know, uh, Seir is where the Edomites lived. Edomites means uh, sons of the red men. Red men is uh, Esau. He had red hair and he had red complexion. And if you've ever seen uh, Indiana Jones where, you know, the uh, last crusade, driving through the... the what is that called? Ravine and, you know, Petra, the city that they go into, carved in the wall. Uh, Esau's, Esau built that and all of his descendants, that's where they lived and dwelt. So this is the property that we're talking about that Jacob knows he's going to pass through. All of that's kind of already there. And he's going through it. I know that we're going to encounter some of Esau's people. And when he hears we're coming, he's coming. He's coming with a bow and arrow. And so you guys, but I got to make things right. I got to make things right with him. This is incredibly important, okay? And I, wanna, I don't want us to miss this. Jacob knows that he might be killed. And so he takes what God has promised him. And he said, I want you to go and I want you to give it to Esau. Not one servant, two servants. I want the first one to go first, have an interaction with Esau's people. And then the next interaction I want Esau to have is with my second servant. And I want him to also give gifts. And then I want there to be a third servant. And I want that third servant to also say, Jacob is your humble servant. I'm really sorry for what I did. In fact, Jacob even says that I may appease him and see, this is verse 22, Genesis 32, and I may see his face. I just want to see his face. Appease him and see his face. This isn't the Jacob that left in Genesis 30, 27. This is a completely different Jacob that now is aligned because of these encounters where God took him through difficulties, but it, it completely realigned his focus on what mattered. Right? All right. Let's look down at verse uh, 22. Chapter 32, verse 22. The same night... He arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and that's 11 sons, by the way. He also had Dinah already, which is a daughter, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint 
as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, listen to this, for I have seen the face, God himself face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Now, when he gets up from that moment for the rest of his life, Jacob limps as a reminder of God's presence in his life. What a powerful limp. And he comes up finally to Esau, and Esau says, Oh, my brother. And there's reconciliation between those two, those two families. And I want you to listen to what, what happens in Genesis chapter 33, verse 10. Jacob said, I want to appease my brother. This is after alignment, right? I want to, I want to appease my brother. And then in, and then in chapter, chapter 32, verse 30, I have seen God face to face, right? But look at this, Genesis 33, 10. He tells Esau to his, himself, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. I just saw it last night. It's like now everywhere he goes, even in the, the worst possible circumstances, it's like hey, he can see God now. I know what he looks like. I've been in his glory. I've experienced it. I've prevailed. And now it actually shades and shadows everything else that he sees for the rest of his life, in fact. I want to draw one more parallel. Genesis chapter 11. You don't have to turn there. You know the story is the Tower of Babel. If you look at that passage of Scripture, man is actually trying to reach the heavens for their glory, for his glory, right? Right? It even says that, for their name. Let us build a name for ourselves, so that generations after us will know who we are. So man is trying to reach the heavens for their glory. And it's the only other place in Scripture, in Hebrew, where the words to the, the, uh, the top reach the heavens, it's the only other place that's found. Rosh Samaim is the Hebrew word. It's, it's whether it's possible or not, the, the Babylonians, I don't know what to call them. They're not Babylonians yet. But they wanted to reach the abode of God by earthly means. But it's almost like this first family after that, as God is establishing his people on earth, God is undoing Babel. And so the ladder and the tower are the only two things in all of Scripture that rest on earth and the top reaches into heaven. I'm not going to dwell much on that, but there's a lot of parallels. We won't get into all of that. But this is the place where men begin to get it backwards. They're trying to fill the heavens with their glory, trying to make a name for themselves, possessing the wrong land, and giving God their presence rather than receiving his presence. And so this ladder that Jacob is able to see actually is a mirror image of what man is wanting to accomplish the tower is condemned by God, but the ladder manifests as wonderful. It's built by God to do just the opposite. It's, it's built by God so that heaven can ascend and descend to earth, so that God's glory can be seen by men here. 
so that God can make a name for himself here. God is establishing his nation, his people, with his rules. His people were not ready for him. Initially, as he was leaving his father, Jacob was ready to see a glimpse. But he wasn't ready to participate. But when he goes and he begins to learn difficulty, he begins to receive blessing. He begins to get rid of his selfishness. And he chooses reconciliation and establishes his own family. He agrees to go back home. Now he's leaving another father, his father-in-law. And the next time that he encounters angels, it's not in a dream. It's real. And now he's prepared, better aligned. And that alignment brought the same thing that it brought Isaiah. Direction, calling, ministry, reconciliation. His heart is right. He's not surprised. This is where God camps. It's like the last time Jacob was alone in this desert, he was shaken. This time, Jacob chooses to be alone so he can experience. And just like the reverse of Babel, God is going to make a name for himself through Jacob. Jacob is going to be God's legacy on earth through all of his descendants. So I want you to notice how then Jacob actually becomes the latter. Jacob becomes the place where heaven comes down and interacts with Jacob. Not a ladder, Jacob. Jacob is the place where angels come and go. Jacob is the place where the Son of Man comes and wrestles and makes interaction with humanity. Why? No longer regulated to a ladder, Jacob becomes the ladder as a glimpse, as a shadow of another that will come who will not prepare a simple ladder in a singular place but where Jesus himself tells Nathaniel, oh, you're going to see heaven open and the angels ascending and descending on me. Because Jesus becomes the ladder permanently, eternally. Because Jacob saw that ladder, he got Israel. Because we get Jesus, we get eternal life. But not a life that we have to wait for, a life that is already here. A life where we can ascend into the throne room of heaven and descend into all the earth. Where we can receive the glory of God and distribute the glory of God wherever we go. But if we're not aligned, we'll miss it. If we're not aligned, we'll build a tower to Babel. Many Christians... live on earth waiting at the bottom of the ladder just fixed waiting for heaven to come what, what I want to kind of offer today is that we stop waiting at the bottom of the ladder and we receive the ladder into ourself and allow ourselves to become the place where Jesus comes through and interacts with the world around us. I would suggest that we become the place where we not only receive heaven, but we reveal heaven as well through the ministry of the Spirit active in us. The gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, 
where God gives us a ministry of reconciliation to the world around us. And the only possible way for that is to move beyond the morality of Christ and to receive the life of Christ through transformation. You can't have heaven without Jesus. In fact, Jesus will go on to say in one of his uh, teachings is that I am the door. In John chapter 10, in verse 9, and in chapter, same chapter, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except by me. And so if you're trying to live a moral existence, you know, a loving existence apart from the life of God, it's not sustainable. It's not possible apart from Jesus. It's only possible through transformation. Transformation that comes from repentance. Repentance that comes from surrender. Surrender that comes from, ultimately, alignment in prayer with Him. So, going all the way back to Isaiah chapter 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That was fulfilled when Jesus came. He did rend the heavens and came down. But you know what else he did? At his death, he rent the curtain, the veil in the temple, so that we could go in. And I hope that we're not settling for anything less than complete transformation. So today, I want to I ask you if you would join me in prayer. And whatever commitment that you've ever made today, if you're wanting to receive the life of Jesus, to receive the hope of heaven, I ask you today to, to join all of us, I hope, my prayer, in alignment. You can't get Jesus without surrender. You can't get Jesus without obedience. You cannot get Jesus without transformation. And you can't have heaven without him. And if you have that, then heaven has already begun on earth. There's a better way to live. And I know in this moment that the Holy Spirit is dealing with many of us in this room. I know that there are there are those of us in this room that know that we're not aligned and we've grown complacent to it. We've grown satisfied. But God himself sent God himself to his creation so that we might fill the earth with his glory. But we've made this earth about our glory. And we've called it good and 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. So today, if you are misaligned, if you know that you are not in the will of God, maybe you've never even received Jesus as your Savior, maybe you're not walking obediently with Him, you're not at a place of complete surrender. You know, you're satisfied with just catching glimpses. 
just dreaming dreams. I mean, maybe today is the day just to, whatever it takes, just nail it down. Just, just, just nail it down. Whatever, whatever you want from me, Lord, I want, I want what you want from me. I want what you want from me. And I'll give it. I'm going to ask you to stand and keep your heads bowed. I really would like to keep the, the room reverent if we, if we can. I know it may be uncomfortable, but you know, it just is what it is. If you're here today and you, and you need to pray or you want somebody to pray with you, I, I'm going to ask you to, to do the very, very difficult thing and come up here and allow somebody to come and pray with you. Will you do that today? Will you say, I want what God wants more than I want to run the risk of being embarrassed with a bunch of people who are praying for me right now? Don't let Satan lie to you. He's lied to you for far too long and he has stolen so much and he has, he has caused you to have that ability to believe lies when you know different. You know different. So I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask if you would just ask the person beside you, excuse me, I'm going to go pray for a moment. It's that simple. I just about guarantee you, if you will do that, the next thing you'll know, you'll be praying. You will not remember the awkwardness of saying yes to Jesus. I know he's dealing with you. I'm just asking you to be obedient to what he has already called you to be. Will you come? Spirit is speaking to you right now. You know it's that tension of I know what I should do, but I'll just do it another time. That's a lie. That is not the Holy Spirit. That is that is Satan paralyzing you right now. Call him a liar and align yourself with God. this question if he never speaks to you again if he never speaks to you again are you satisfied I know 
there's some that are just counting it. He'll, you know, there'll be another opportunity. No, there may not be. The Lord didn't promise that he would continually speak. In fact, he promised that he wouldn't always. So if there is anything in you right now saying respond, respond at all cost, that is the Lord. Answer him while he may be found, while he is still calling. This is the moment to say yes. And you may already be a Christian. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying there's more. There's more than being a child of Abraham comfortable with glimpses. Everybody's head still bowed, and I want us to keep a posture of prayer. If you're here this morning, and something is holding you in place, but you know what you need, I would like for you just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call your name. I'm not gonna embarrass you. But I would like for you to be honest and just say, I, I just, I just, I want you to have some way of responding. So if you just lift your hand and say, I know I'm out of alignment. I want to, I want to want to. Would you slip your hand up? Again, I see, I see that hand and that hand and that hand all over the room. wants you to have an experience like Isaiah had that from the rest of your life your prayers will begin with oh Lord I remember growing up hearing old people testify they would start by oh Lord or their prayer would start oh Lord and I just think where did it go and the Lord still has the same goal as glory fill the earth We've just grown cold. We don't have our own experiences. We're living near someone else's monuments to experiences. I'm telling you, and I'm not a prophet, but I'm convinced the Lord wants us to have our own monuments. our own moments that we can long back for for God to do it again
So today, if, if you're just in a place of want to, I'm going to pray that the Lord would continue to warm you up. But I, I know by experience that the more you say no, the harder it is. that you would continue to move and continue to do a work. I pray that as we process through from, from glimpses, from symbols, from shadows, as we process through this life, we have beacons of life, beacons of light, pray as we as we process through faithfully to you allowing you to do the work in our life we begin to to have heart change we begin to see things differently to move from observing to participating and I pray you won't I pray I pray you'll call again Soften our hearts and give us an O to look back to. I thank you for, for this room today and I pray your blessing over us as we go. I pray your favor to go not just with us but through us. That we can become, you know, Christ in us. We in Christ can kind of become a glimpse of that open door. So we radiate the life of Christ. So that your glory may fill the earth and that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we go, I know that there are many of you today that I hope will regret not making a decision. And I say that with lots and lots of love. And, and because of that, I want to say, if you need to make a decision and the time just wasn't right, don't leave today. Let's, let's pray today. Don't leave with things unsettled with the Lord. I beg you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.